Welcome to The Well, a podcast about the spirited world of cocktails, the alcohol that's in them, and the bars that serve them. Of all the things we consume, the world of booze is perhaps the most riddled with misunderstandings, mysticism, and downright consumer confusion. Our aim is to make you a more mindful imbiber so you can live your best life. My name is Payman Vamani. I'm a lawyer turned bartender, and my co-host with the Comos is Rodney Sinocruz, a DJ and music engineer who is on the quest to drink more intelligently. So uh, let's get into episode two. What is the drink of this episode, Payman? Today, uh, we're going to tackle a drink called the Daiquiri. And, you know, it's a drink that depending on how old you are and where you grew up uh, and maybe where you vacationed, uh, <laughs> it signifies a different thing to different people. And, and in the last 10, 15 or so years, with the rise of the you know craft cocktail movement, we've had the ascendance of the drink called the daiquiri that refers to something maybe different than what some other uh, others might be associating. And so we have some guests today that are going to talk about that drink and why some bartenders like myself really love this original kind of more throwback style drink from the early 1900s and uh, why some people like some of this, uh, the, the more kind of middle of the century frozen variation, why that gets so maligned and how it can actually be good. So for today, we got a couple of good guests, two good friends of mine who are in the bar industry and who do fantastic things as bartenders and who are also quite familiar with the daiquiri. We have uh, Nicole Morris, kind of a nomadic bartender, bartended uh, all over the, the globe, Hong Kong, Arizona, currently working on opening up his bar in Kentucky. And he's going to be involved in a little bit of a lively discussion with us. Afterwards, we'll check in with Adam Robinson who's got a bar named Deadshot in Portland, Oregon, and he's doing some cool things with the daiquiri on a little bit more of a modern bent. So what draws you to the daiquiri? Oh, it's delicious. It's really good. Uh, We don't really drink rum right often much, you know? There's a lot of drinks for gin. There's a lot of drinks for whiskey that are simple that most people will make at home or maybe their parents made for them or something like that. You don't really come across a lot of people that have had, especially, you know, the more traditional style of daiquiris, which I absolutely do prefer. And it's not as common of a thing. It's a very fun drink. It's really easy to make at home. It's just, it's a very elegant drink. It's really simple. It's really easy to make for friends. Uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Payment. Uh, you know, is that part of the daiquiri recipe? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of room for a little... A lot of, a lot of variations you can yeah. do. Uh, there's a lot of room for finesse in terms of like the sugar that you use or like we're talking about the rum that you're using, but it's ultimately like a super simple drink. It's a utility drink. You know, cocktails have a tendency of getting put on a pedestal. Um, and I also have, I think the inverse is true as well. I think sometimes in an effort to like take them off the pedestal, some bartenders will act like they don't matter at all. You know, it's just the experience. It's just the hospitality. The drinks do matter. They do need to be good. Um, it is a very small part of it in the grand scheme of things, but they do have to be made well. What, in your mind, is the the classic daiquiri? I believe uh, in two ounces of rum, and that's pretty much, the, that's just the way it goes. You do want a Spanish white if you've got it, like we clearly do here today. Uh, it's, like we said, it's a, it's a drink of the same merit with different rum, but the drink was originally made with Cuban white rum. So a, a, a Puerto Rican's fine in the States. That's kind of what we have to deal with. Um, as long as it's white and light, that's the spirit of the daiquiri. 
no pun intended, but that I do an ounce of lime juice. I like acidity a lot, but I also think that it compels you to drink it a little bit faster. It causes you a reaction that's just a little bit more biting. It's a little bit sharper. Because it's a drink that's so full-bodied without any dilution in it, I think that if you can amp that up a little bit to fight the dilution, because the dilution is so essential in a daiquiri, it's what makes it bright, it's what makes it cold, it's what makes it so nice. I think if you can counteract that a little bit with a little more citrus, you end up with a slightly more engaging cocktail. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. As long as it's three quarters of an ounce to an ounce, and then 14 grams of sugar, which is half an ounce to a two to one. If you talk about original recipe for the daiquiri, the idea that in 1905, somebody came up with the combination of rum, lime, and sugar for the first time is a pretty foolish idea. Probably it, didn't it, happen it, in exactly. 1905. But as far as the combination of rum, lime, and sugar, I mean, anywhere you have rum in this world, and you have rum in this world, somebody put figured out to put acid and sugar with it, and the acid usually ended up being lime in those regions of the world anyways. So, you know, the British Navy officers served grog, as they called it. It was rum, lime, it's sugar, lime, like the and citrus, water. The citrus, dominant citrus fruit in those regions. There's no... Well, it depended on who was bringing it in and uh, where it could have come from. But if we're talking about uh, Central America or we're talking about the Caribbean, yeah, a lot of it was either going to be lime or other things that are lime adjacent that aren't immediately recognizable to this conversation. But there's a lot of other small citruses uh, that fit into a similar category that have a very similar profile. Um, if we break down the difference between lemon and lime on like a molecular level, they're really not all that different, honestly, especially on an acidic level. Um, but limes are definitely what you would have found. And anywhere that was selling you something would have been selling you limes. Like at home, you might not have made it that way. But if somebody was selling you something and they were putting money into it, they were selling you limes most likely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with Payment. I think that I, I'm much more of a purist than he is. Um, I, I like there to be staunch rules, but that's because I like people to have consistent expectations at the bar. And I'm not saying no, that I mean, you don't. The, rum, the daiquiri should be rum, lime, and sugar. Yeah, and I think that fundamentally and, 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 it should, and it should be, be balanced. Uh, just about two ounces of rum. It should always be just about three quarters of an ounce of lime juice. And it should be just about 14 grams of granulated sugar or a half an ounce of two to one simple syrup. Or it's how you get to balance, right? Yeah, because well, that's you, what if, creates it. If you figure out a, a different way to get to balance, yeah. fine by me. And by balance, I mean sugar, spirit. A sugar to acid, you know, strong enough uh, and not, not overly diluted. So you get to it however you get to it. I won't argue with you. The recipe doesn't uh, matter as long as you Yeah, and you want to put a fresh strawberry in there. You want to, you know, put some mint in there. Like, it's fine by me. The supposed origin of the daiquiri is that an American expatriate living on the eastern side of Cuba invented it for some friends coming down that he wanted to impress because they were gin drinkers in New York. His name was Jennings Cox, and the year was 1896. It's a mining engineer, right? Yeah, and that's why he was down there. Uh, now, that's, that's what we probably know to be the truth. The person who made the daiquiri, what we're drinking right now, this, and what you know it as, this supple, light, up drink that you enjoy on the beach, was Constantino. Right. He worked at the Floridita. He's the one who made it attractive. He's the one who made it fun. He's the one who made it a part of Cuba. He's the one who made it fancy. It's not as commonly known that Cuba had a really great legacy of very dynamic and interesting cocktails before the revolution. Uh, people think Cuba Libres, they think mojitos. Those are revolution drinks. Before that, you have some really, really great drinks with a lot of interesting ingredients, not just rum. You saw a lot of diverse things. And a lot of that started with drinks like the Golden Gloves or the daiquiri that Constantino was making, putting up, charging well, dressing well, and really kind of changed the way that they were tourist drinks. 
So it invented this idea of what you drink on the beach. Like Constantino invented that. So maybe the daiquiri wasn't his, but it probably wasn't Jennings exclusively either. So if we want to talk about where it came from, it came from the beach in Cuba. That's what it is. It's a postcard. That's all that it is. So if it's your favorite rum made into that postcard, it's okay. Just roughly make it balanced and most importantly, enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, the daiquiri, you know, it's part necessity, you know, the idea of like putting rum in something, um, you know, oh, putting and, and putting lime, you know, take what you have. If the rum helps you like with your fever, well, cool, I'll drink more of that. <laughs> yeah, sure. If the lime juice helps with the scurvy, scurvy, oh, cool, let's put more of that. It's good for me. Um, and of course, you need sugar. Scurvy free, right? Yeah. You know. Since the day I was born. Yeah. <laughs> Daiquiris, that's what's done it. So, so a daiquiri can be a generic term for anything that combines sugar, citrus, no. and spirit? You don't, what do you call it, a fix? Because that's what it would be. No. A, first of all, a daiquiri is rum. Okay, it has to be. I think, what, well, yeah. I think what Nick is trying to say is that in its spirit, he's talking about structurally the daiquiri, the whiskey sour, the gold rush, uh, the gimlet. The relatives. They, 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 are, they are the same skeletal right. composition. Yeah, and all I was trying to say is that the I name think the daiquiri, is the daiquiri. Well, I just think the daiquiri as an idea is more prolific than more people know what a daiquiri is than know what a whiskey sour is. I promise you that. I promise you that. At one point regarding the rum, you know, the, the kind of, you know, daiquiri is famously known for using Spanish style white rum, which is like the more drier style of rums. There's many styles of rum you'll find ranging from dry to like very sweet. I will say though that like my preferred daiquiri is not with a white rum. Um, and if it is with a white rum, it's certainly not with a Spanish style of white rum because I'm just not a fan of, the, of that style of rum. To me, it is the vodka of rums. That's not to cast aspersions on anybody. It's just to say that like with a daiquiri, you can be, you know, you have, you have leeway. My, I do prefer aged rum in my daiquiri. And one, of, and one of the favorite variations I do like is another classic called, called the Captain's Blood Daiquiri. It's a lesser-known classic. Jamaican rum. I just don't like it. I don't like Angostura in a daiquiri. But that has nothing to do with what I like. What the fuck does that <laughs> have to do with what I like? What does that have to do with what I like? That's what's in a Captain's Blood. Yeah, and I like that shit. <laughs> yeah. You said, oh, I don't like it. Nobody's talking about what the fuck you like. This is what I've dealt with for 10 years for the people at home. I just want them to know. For what? Interrupting me when I'm fucking talking on my own show? See? See. I'm a guest. I'm a guest. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. All right, what, then you just what, keep talking. What, 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 no, what is, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. That's why you don't get stoned before you get on a fucking podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry that I don't like Angostura. I apologize. I'll keep it to myself. Do you want to make a daiquiri? Yes. Nice. That would be the way to go. So, what have we here? So, that's. Um, oh, I smell the lemon heart. Yeah. So, that's lemon heart 151, which is Demerara and 151 rum, which is rum, 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 rum. Um, because I use more citrus, I decided to use that. Uh, we also ran out of sugar, so it's a little light on sugar, but I don't think so. I should. I think. For it, a while. I think it's. It's. Yeah, it should be fine. And the nice. Uh, I like the amount of citrus you use. Yeah, and then it's a pot still rum too. What does What does that mean? Pot stilled rum. Yeah. So the pot still is a more traditional style of of uh, still that's used to distill. Uh, it has a shape of a kettle, and because of that shape, the way distillation works, without getting too technical, is that it results in a lot of the heavier flavorful compounds in the original thing that's being that's being boiled and distilled to carry through to the final product. Whereas when you have a column still, it's shaped like a tall column. The heavier, more flavorful, funky things don't make don't it all make the way it. to the top. So products that are traditionally made in column stills, vodka is one of them, some whiskeys, some rums, 
a lot of the Cuban and Spanish style rums are column stills. It's just a decision by the distiller to have a different flavor profile right. and body level in the final product. And in the case of rums, while there aren't like there's one law or, or you know, on how rum should be made, different, you see different regional trends. So Jamaicans tend to make the funkier, headier pot still rums that have the hogo. Spanish style rums would be the cleaner, crisper, kind of like, you know, leaner uh, style of rum. You have Demerara region, and then you have like, you have the French that do it, you know, different regions just, you know, do different things as a result of like economic necessity, political consequence, uh, considerations and, and availability of product. Can, can we talk about the, um, the, the slushy variety of daiquiri? The, the, the blend form of the daiquiri? Is it, if, if it is, you, you tell me. Yeah. It's the, one, it's the one that I think of. Of the things you drink during your day, are you like, this would be better if it was frozen? <laughs> have Most you ever things. had a frozen coffee? Have you ever had a frozen Coke? Have you ever had a milkshake? Better. Have you ever had a Slurpee? Yeah. A cherry Coke better. Slurpee? Yeah. Or, or a Squishy, for that matter. Yeah. Or a Squishy, yeah. Squishy. <laughs> so what is the origin of these uh, blended... Well, so I... Blend, I mean, blenders have existed about as long as as long as they've been affordable appliances. They've been behind bars, really, fundamentally. All over Puerto Rico and most of the Caribbean islands, you find blenders as like a staple. And not as an ironic or like a trashy staple. It's just a staple of how to make drinks. It's really nice on a hot day to have a frozen but blend. But even before uh, electric blenders, Cuban bartenders were using hand blenders. So there's this... There's this I mean, the like, julep is basically a proto-frozen drink. Yeah, it's it's crushing ice to get it to be colder because in certain climates you just need the fucking thing to be colder than than, than regular ice. Well, and you have to bear in mind that until the turn of the 20th century, ice was a novelty in cocktails. It wasn't a thing that you really could have enough of in your cocktail for it to be cold, cold like we experience now, let alone like sort of crushed ice. And then as it became less of a commodity and sugar, like bleached white sugar, sees a very similar arc in terms of when it was affordable. As you see those two things become more readily available, you start to see colder and sweeter drinks. And both of those things pretty much come out of blenders. So there was, it was, a, it was not only a, like a, a, Something that accommodated the temperature, but it was also something that made sense in terms of technology that was readily available and people were excited about. I, I think the one of the things you might be getting at is with the blended daiquiris, it it got a bad name in around a lot of craft bartending circles or whatever, because not you know I, I think people thought people started blaming the blender. The blender was just a conduit. The problem wasn't the blender. The problem was the things that was going into the blender. You know, you had, whether it was a strawberry daiquiri or banana daiquiri or whatever you get in those daiquiri machines in New Orleans, there was no actual strawberry or actual banana uh, to be found. Maybe, I mean, the only thing that was real was the rum, and it was like shitty rum. Um, a lot of like artificially, chemically flavored and colored things that were found in there, and the frozen drink got a bad rap. But if you put, I mean, you know, fresh strawberries in a blender with good rum of choice, fresh lime juice... Uh, and some sugar, and you need a little bit more sugar than you normally would because it's a the, wa- the dilution, right? Because it's a it's a cold thing. Oh, okay, it's frozen. Right. Yeah, you put good ingredients in there, good ingredients in, good ingredients out. It's it's that simple. Um, in the case of frozen drinks, you just need to add a little more sugar because as things get colder, uh, you know the flavor sensation on your on your palate is different. You know, ice cream that's melted is going to taste a lot sweeter than that very same ice cream. And it's frozen. True. Shape. Yeah. Never thought about that. It's just the way we, the way we perceive flavor. So so nothing wrong with a frozen daiquiri. And some people actually uh, kind of discredit its authenticity. But Cuban bartenders, some of the very 
first daiquiris by Constantino Ribalagua, the bartender that he mentioned from Cuba, may have very well been of the the blended variety. Now, not necessarily maybe electric blenders, but, you know, hand-cranking blenders to create like a slushy um, that's cold to drink. Because if you've ever been to Cuba... It's hot and humid. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's hot as fuck. And it's humid. It's the humidity, too. You need something to counteract that. Nothing wrong with good quality spirits, good quality products going into it. It's when you use artificially flavored stuff that the TGI Friday variety and all that. That's what I was getting at, yeah. too. Just those, those get a bad rap for a good reason, but it has nothing to do with, with, with the mixing implement, the blender. It has to do with what you're putting into it. There's two drinks I make at home. It's the daiquiri and the Negroni. I make old fashions in daiquiris. That's it. That's old fashioned sometimes, home. yeah. You know, it's, it's basically the simple drinks. Yeah. You know, very simple drinks. Uh, people think bartenders might like want to get more extra creative at home. No, no, we want to do that for you. No, yeah, we want to do that for people who come in and we'll drink that home. fancy cocktail. Maybe you know, maybe at the bar that we work at because yeah. everything's laid out for you. Never. But at a home kitchen, you know, you see how you can't. See. Well, I mean, ask anybody who's ever made punch for a party. Like, it's really easy to be like, "Oh, I'll make it," and then they get into it and they're like, "Man, I really got to buy like a lot of stuff. I'm gonna have a lot of things left over. It's like a lot of work." Heaven forbid you have to make the juice fresh. Like, yeah. making cocktails at home is not super easy. And we know that better than anybody else does. And we get to go to work where everything's ready to go. Even if we have to set it up, we have tools, we have wells, we have bottles, we have... It's a bar. So when you come home as a bartender, I don't... I mean, I can't speak for payment, but I know sometimes when I come home, I'm not in a bar. So I don't even think to make drinks. I'll have a beer or I'll have spirits. I mean, he barely thinks like to that. make drinks when he's working. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't even think about it. Like, it doesn't even really cross my mind. I like to make myself drinks, but I just don't, I will never make myself a four-ingredient bottle drink. I just won't. And it's just, I will maybe at work, but I'll never do it at home. Yeah, when I'm at home, it's beer, wine, spirits. And then if I'm making dinner and it's like a fancy dinner and I got a little extra time, there's a pre-dinner cocktail. What song would you associate with the daiquiri? I did think about this a little bit. And there's, I think there's like a lot of options. Uh, the natural thing is like a bossa nova thing or something, right? But there's like this uh, gay disco band called Gossip, and they do a band or they do a song called Dime Store Diamond, and it's about a girl who's really fashionable, even though she shops at the thrift store. And I think that that fits a daiquiri really well because, like, no matter what you put on there, like the base is perfect. So it doesn't really matter how you dress it up. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Everybody knows how good it is and knows that it took no effort. So to me, when I think of a daiquiri, I just think of that song. So that was a lively discussion, huh? Yeah, I mean, um, it was it was all over the place, um, but we got a lot of good information from from Nick. He's a yeah, and I mean, for you know, for the maybe the listener who's not aware, Nick and I have a long history. We're, we're friends, so we we talk shit all day. But he get, on- get a little spicy there. <laughs> a little spicy, yeah. But you know, he's on the show because uh, we respect his knowledge, and we're definitely glad to get his insight on it. And now we turn to Adam Robinson, a bartender who I've been fortunate enough to work with. We worked together overseas at a bar in Taipei called Ounce. And, you know, the man definitely knows and appreciates his daiquiri. And I've learned a lot from him. And uh, it's time for us to learn a little bit more. Now in Portland, holding shop at uh, his own place called Dead Shop. We're here in Portland, Oregon, 
at a bar called Deadshot. And it's run by uh, Adam Robinson, a bartender who certainly knows his way around a daiquiri. Before we get into a little bit further about uh, the daiquiri itself, uh, Adam, why don't you take some time to introduce yourself and uh, also tell us about Deadshot. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, yeah, my name is Adam Robinson. I live here in Portland, Oregon. I've been here for the last 10 years, kind of on and off. Most people know me in town from my time at Rum Club. You know, I worked there for four years uh, and then kind of went to Asia, worked at Ounce with you for a while, and then uh, came back to Portland about three years ago. We started doing Deadshot as a pop-up. Uh, as far as what we do at Deadshot, um, we tend to focus on unique flavors and interesting flavor combinations for our cocktails. Most of the a lot of the ingredients we use are more commonly found on a plate than in a, in a glass. Uh, so, so what uh, what is if you had to make a jacket right now, what would it be? I, I think anyone who knows me who's sat at my bar knows my love of the Captain's Blood daiquiri. <laughs> um, this is a drink that when I was working at Rum Club, you know, I was always looking for daiquiri variations. And I came across this one that in the old books kind of just says a Jamaican rum daiquiri with Angostura bitters, you know. When it comes to like recipes, especially old recipes, if you're a good bartender, you need ingredients you don't need specs. You can balance the drink yourself. So, and I love when I see something as basic as Jamaican rum daiquiri with Angostura bitters. Doesn't say what kind of rum, doesn't say how much bitters. Um, and so for me, I love to use uh, a funky pot still rum, uh, whether it's Smith & Cross or Hamilton's rums, I think are really great, um, especially the the black and the gold pot still, the price point's right, and um, it provides you know, great flavor profile and just the right amount of funk. But usually I would take a more neutral aged dark rum, whether it's an Appleton or you know, sometimes a plantation. And then usually for me, in a captain's blood, it's gonna be three parts one rum and one part the other rum. So two ounces total, usually about an ounce and a half of say an Appleton Reserve or you know an aged Appleton rum, and then a half ounce of a funkier rum. That's not to say, you know, usually, I mean, you can do three rums as well. Uh, there's a skipper rum that's really quite nice from Guiana. I'm a big fan of Guiana rums. So you like layering your rums to layer flavors. Exactly, cool. exactly. Um, it's actually interesting you mentioned the captain's blood because that is my favorite daiquiri as well, and you're the one that turned me onto that when we worked together overseas. Um, and that's that's yeah, that's become my kind of go-to as well. I prefer an aged rum daiquiri, and people who make me daiquiris know that. Um, and for me too, with the bitters aspect of it, I'm heavy-handed on bitters in all my drinks. Um, I think generally people are scared of bitters, you know, especially when I go to a bar and order the bitters and soda, you know, you see him put like one or two dash. I'm just like, sometimes I want to just say, you just dash and I'll tell you when to stop. Because, <laughs> you know, for me, uh, a captain's blood, you know, four or five dashes of Angostura bitters, if you're using a very ro robust rum, you know, it can easily stand up to that and it adds those spice notes. And and, it's, and when you say bitters, you're talking about Angostura. Angostura bitters, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why that, set of bitters works so well in that drink because the kind of more pronounced flavors in Angostura, you know, allspice and some of those things go very well with Jamaican rums. Allspice is 
grows in Jamaica. It's yeah. used in Jamaican yeah. cuisine. So, you know, that old adage, if it grows together, it goes together. I think that's probably one of the reasons why the English distributors work so well in that type of daiquiri. For sure. Um, and for me, you know, my kind of typical specs for a daiquiri are two three-quarter half, two base spirit rum, you know, splitting that up between two rums, maybe three, three-quarter fresh lime juice, half, two to one Demerara. I also, you know, I have a bit of a sweet tooth. I think that shows in some. I mean, and that's the like thing about the daiquiri. Sweet, but that's but... the thing about the daiquiri, and, and like actually, the, the thing about all classic cocktails, as you said, a good bartender doesn't look at the specs or doesn't look at the recipe. They look at the ingredients and they figure out how to balance it out. And I think people get caught up on the specs of classic cocktails, or the recipes of classic cocktails, but not thinking about the fact that 50, 60 plus years ago, palates may have differed. Spirits may have tasted differently because technology of distillation is different and the types of sugars you, you may have had, types of fruits you may have had access to were, were different. And so, you know, to be stuck in some recipe of the past would be the equivalent of like a modern chef only using recipes from 100 years ago. For sure. You know? And I think when you look at like, when you think about older spirits, you know, I've tried a few here and there, but not enough to really like know this for sure. But I can't imagine the consistency is the same as it is today. Like I, like, I mean, you meet distillers and especially like bourbon distillers, they, they do this whole good old boy, you know, like, like attitude, but these guys are scientists with master's yeah. degrees, you know, like <laughs> these guys have gone to graduate school. Like they are smart as hell. Like, and I really, and they're applying scientific principles to the final product consistency. Yeah. And I just, can't imagine even 50 years ago, especially 100 years ago, like you buy a bottle of something one week and a month later, that bottle could taste different, you know, right. and especially in, I think that would be across the board with ingredients. Right on. And especially even with rum, something as, as relatively, relative to bourbon and other whiskeys, uh, less, much less legislated, much less regulated, you know, rum is like the outlaw spirit for so many reasons, because it's just it's different everywhere you go. Yeah. And depending on where it's coming from, like... Right. You know, it is typically from more impoverished areas. You know, probably can't afford to throw out a batch if it's not right. the same as the last one. You know, they're just going to roll with it. Right. Like, the daiquiri still, like, you know, as a bartender, I'm sure you come across people who, like, still don't know what a classic daiquiri is. And why do you think that that drink is is uh, kind of misperceived in the way? Not not saying that, you know, there's a hard and fast rule to it. But, you know, there's, there's people have a perception uh, and they, you know, Maybe if they've been exposed to like some drinks in, in out of you know in, in New Orleans slushy yeah. machines or something. Well, I'd say like two words: spring break. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> oh yeah, I had a daiquiri at Senor Frogs. You know, that's that you know that had grain alcohol in it, right? Like <laughs> like you know it, the daiquiri. I think just from vacationing gets a bad rap, and you know what people think of it. A lot of people think of it as a bright red, super sweet, sugary blended drink, you know, frozen drink when it's not. Um, and I just think that goes to, you know, vacationing. It's like if you, if your only ex exposure to the Mai Tai was vacationing in Hawaii, you, you know? wouldn't be drinking a proper <laughs> exactly, Mai Tai. Exactly. Yeah. Like it might have grenadine in it or pineapple in it, you know, <laughs> it's like not a Mai Tai. But like, we'll get into that in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's its own episode. But no, I really do think that like vacationing and, you know, like, like stuff like that, like people, a lot of people just don't even realize it's a shaken drink 
and not a blended drink. Sure, it can be blended. It's delicious blended, but ultimately when it comes down to it, it's, it's a handshake and drink. Yeah. Or uh, one might argue that in the early days of Cuba, like 1930s, post post America or during American Prohibition, 1920s, 30s, when the Cuban bartending heritage was really like coming into its 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 kind of golden years, they would be hand blending some, hand cranking it. For sure. With with crushed ice. Yeah. So not quite the blended variety that we're used to, but uh, still something to get greater dilution in a in a much hotter, much more humid climate. Well um, yeah, and like certain people I mean people take a lot of people say and I I kind of believe this, even though I don't typically serve mine this way, is the Hemingway daiquiri. When it started, it was on crushed ice. Right. Like, that's... That's how Hemingway wanted it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like... But I can think of one bar that, if I were to go into an order, it might come out on crushed ice, and that's Morgenthaler's bar. You know, mm-hmm. he's... I think he brought it to my attention. That, Clyde Common? Yeah, yeah, Clyde or Pepe Lamoco. Okay. You know, um, but I know... Jeff in the past has done some, he's written about the Hemingway served on crushed ice, you know, but I, other than that bar, you know, I'm, I'm sure other rum bars yeah. probably do it that way, but. So the point of it being though, that like, you know, a daiquiri, uh, people forgot about what it, what it really is, uh, not so much because of like, mainly because of, you know, going to places that only served an inferior drink made with inferior ingredients. And once you put quality ingredients in there, you know, rum, lime, sugar, you know, whether you want to, like, blend it or put a, some fruit in it, some fresh fruit in it, nobody would have an issue with that. But I think probably as a result of post-prohibition industrialization of everything that had a flavor in it in America, you know, turned to, like, artificial flavoring and coloring that it bled into our drinks. And now... We're reclaiming something that actually is like over 100 years old. Yeah. Another reason why, you know, we've been talking about the, the daiquiri and, and looking backwards. Um, another reason why I wanted to have you here is because uh, you guys do a cool drink at Deadshot that to me represents what the future of a classic cocktail can look like when, you know, you apply the sense of balance and knowledge and experience of a bartender. Uh, but also adding a bit of scientific tricks and, and just a little tweak of technology to achieve something different. So you guys have a drink on the menu called the Crystal Daiquiri. You yeah. want to tell us about that? So the Crystal Daiquiri, you know, we have a Spinzol, the Culinary Centrifuge, and, um, you know, we use it for lots of different things. Um, but when I got it, one of the first things I wanted to do is clarify citrus and look at drinks using clarified lemon and lime juice and and just so you, you know just so we everybody's clear what do you mean by clarify because we try to make sure this uh podcast kind of like speaks to non-industry people okay. as well so so to clarify we essentially you know juice fresh fresh limes uh, we treat it with uh, a couple different a couple different things the first being pectinex which uh pectinex i think it's called slp it's an enzyme that breaks down pectin and then um we treat citrus with two finding agents. Uh, I'm gonna murder the pronunciation, but one's called like Cheetosan and the other's called Kiosol. They're commonly used in clarification of beer and wine, but essentially one of them is positively attracted and one of them is negatively attracted. And when you uh, add the pectin X to it, it starts breaking down the pectin. And then when you add the finding agents, it encourages the plant and particulate in 
the lime juice to want to clump together. So you treat you treat it with pectinex, and it has to be you know it's a pretty precise thing. You're measuring out one milliliter per 500 ml of whatever you want to clarify. You treat it with the first. You have to wait 15 minutes. Treat it with the second. Wait 15 minutes and treat it with the third, and then uh, then we put it in our centrifuge. The culinary centrifuge is different from a scientific one, mainly in the way that uh, it doesn't use buckets and it doesn't spin nearly as fast. Scientific centrifuges, you know, you got to use blood. You know, if they're using it for scientific purposes, some of those spin up to 30,000 RPMs. Uh, ours oscillates between 2,900 and I think 3,400. It's essentially a UFO-shaped road-looking rotor that spins on a motor and it has three fins in it. And the three fins stop the particulate. And the, the way the rotor is shaped like a flying saucer, it, uh, it's spinning so fast, it encourages all the particulate to go to the outside and clump together on the side. So um, you put your juices through that process, clarifying, meaning basically you're separating out the solids and you, what you end up with is clear looking lime juice. Yeah. And you do that, and what do you do with that? Uh, so that, um, we essentially, the clarified lime isn't quite as acidic as regular lime juice um, because you're taking out, you know, some of, some of those compounds. Um, but for our crystal daiquiri, we use a three-rum blend, clarified lime juice, and simple syrup. Uh, we use, for the rums, we use an ounce of Plantation Three Star, half ounce of Ray Nephew Overproof, it's like a funky Jamaican rum, and then a half ounce of uh, La Favorite Cordicon Blanc, which is a rum agricole from uh, the island of Martinique. And essentially, the plantation adds a nice clean base, and the other two add a lot of flavor. So we actually mix it uh, two ounces of the base with um, three-quarter ounces lime juice and three-quarter ounces of one-to-one uh, -one simple syrup. And, uh, and what's the other cool thing you guys do with that that's different from other daiquiris? We stir it, yeah. And so with clarified juice, um, it's easier to incorporate um, into the cocktail. So instead of shaking this cocktail, adding a bunch of, incorporating a bunch of air into the drink, which then changes the texture, uh, we stir it and it really keeps that silky smooth texture that you'd get from Manhattan or a martini. martini yeah. Um, and the thing about this drink, I think that's, one of the reasons why it's so popular is as humans, we are, you know, we have all these preconceived notions that are just ingrained in us from years of living or whatever. And um, when you look at a glass that has no color, we just kind of think there's going to be not much flavor. That's just kind of the way we think. And so when you're served the crystal daiquiri, it's served in a coupe, uh, has a dehydrated lime slice floating on top. It's so some bit of a signifier of yeah. what's to come. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's perfectly clear. The lime juice by itself has a little bit of color to it, but once you mix it with everything else, it looks like a glass of water. And then you go and try it, and you get the acidity from the lime. You get, you know, all the flavor from the different rums, and it's just, you know, to watch people drink it for the first time, it's, it's really kind of cool, because, like, they go to take a sip, and you just see their eyes, like, light up. Like, like, what am I drinking? Or even for someone who, uh, you know, like myself, who knew what to expect, because I, you know, I, I understand some of, you know, the process of how you came to this drink, and I, and I 
already understood what was cool about the drink, I was still had a curiosity about what it would taste like because, you know, the mere fact that you stirred it means it has a completely different texture than the shaken, frothy, kind of effervescent drinks that you get, such as, you know, daiquiris, margaritas, and gimlets. And so I was like, oh, this is, this looks like a martini. Um, I know it's not going to taste like a martini. I expect it to taste like a daiquiri, but, you know, what is it going to feel like? Is it going to feel like a martini? And that was what was cool about it. Um, yeah, and I, and I think just having such acidity in a clear form is really what throws people. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you're breaking one of the rules of, of bartending as far as what type of drinks to shake and what type of drinks to, to stir. But the rule is being broken because you've understood uh, why those rules were set up that way. So once you've removed those particulate matters uh, from the juice, then there is no need to shake that drink unless you want a particular texture. Right. You know. And on that note, um, uh, there's a bar up in, an awesome bar up in Seattle called Rumba. Rum bar, right. obviously. Um, they do a clarified daiquiri uh, that they have on draft, but they um, they carbonate theirs. Mm. And I've actually carbonated ours for a couple different events. And that's a really fun thing to do, too, because that's just is another layer of flavor and complexity and, and texture yeah and like i don't i mean i don't know why this is but you can have something by itself and then you carbonate it it's amazing how much the flavor profile changes and with the crystal daiquiri it brings out this like really yeastiness like huh. yeasty flavor that i don't quite understand where it's coming from but I, we did an event uh, where it's all bartenders and you're talking about carbonation strictly via the forcing of co2 correct. not Yeast carbonation. No, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. No, it's a forced CO2 carbonation. We use the carbonator caps, hook it up right. to a CO2 tank, and it takes mm -hmm. like a couple minutes. But we did an event. It was a bartender dinner, and you know I want to have fun with it, and um, you know really throw some curveballs at them. And normally uh, at this restaurant where we did it, you're you're greeted with bubbles to start, and so we carbonated it and we served it in a flute. To people as they walk through the door and these are all industry people these are all bartenders some of them thought it was champagne you know like oh wow because it's, it's like i mean that also goes into the thing when you're tasting tasting stuff that blindly and you i mean which is the real true way to to taste because you should have no preconceived notions going into it um it's it's it blind tasting is very hard and so you're handed a glass you don't know what's in it it's got bubbles. It's in a champagne flute. You know, your mind immediately has you have notions exactly. You know, yeah. and like, like try it and like. I mean, some people knew it wasn't, but some people like actually thought it was sparkling wine. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, we did a clarified carbonated Bloody Mary once too, and that was that was crazy. It still tastes like a Bloody Mary, but trying the two side by side, carbonated and uncarbonated, were two very different things. Yeah, I mean, even just to clarify from a regular Bloody Mary, because the Bloody Mary is so much about uh, body and texture and, and pulp and, you know, all of that. It's a meal um, and a glass. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Adam, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show and uh, sharing with us your daiquiri wisdom. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm always happy to talk about daiquiris in Rome. Cheers. So that was Adam Robinson from Deadshot in Portland. And to conclude this episode, I wanted you, Payman, to give us a recipe of the classic daiquiri. Take us through this tutorial on how to make this cocktail at home. So yeah, so 
you know, over the course of the show, you probably heard a bunch of different uh, variations on on how to make the daiquiri. But for the sake of keeping it simple, keep in mind, first of all, you're going to need three things. Rum, lime juice, and sugar. For the rum, whatever rum you really, you know, that floats your boat. But if you want to go with the classical style, you know, a white rum, you know, Cuban or Puerto Rican rum, a white rum would be more uh, classical, original kind of daiquiri. But you're welcome to use any rum that you want. Uh, two ounces of that, plus three quarters of an ounce to one ounce of lime juice, depending on how much tartness you like. Um, you know, I like the three quarter ounce. Uh, Nick likes the one ounce. It's really, you know, you'll play with it and see what you like. And as far as the sugar, you know, originally raw sugar was was just sugar was dumped in the in the shaker. But for the sake of really making this an easier drink to mix, bartenders like to make simple syrup. And simple syrup is just that. It's simply equal parts sugar and water. You want to use white sugar, that's fine. You want to use uh, a raw or demerara sugar, that's fine. I don't suggest using powdered sugar because it just it'll, it won't really mix so easily. But basically, you make your one-to-one simple syrup and use, you know, about three-quarter ounces of that. Put that in a shaker with ice. Shake it hard. Don't be hesitant to shake it hard. Strain it into a cocktail glass. And that's your daiquiri. You taste that and you see you like it a little more sour or you like it a little more sweet, you can adjust it accordingly. But it's basically rum, lime, sugar, about two ounces of the rum, about three quarter ounces to one ounce of the lime juice, and about three quarter ounces of a simple syrup made with equal parts sugar and water. I had one question in regards to the ice. Now, are you using crushed ice or like a block of ice inside the shaker? I mean, definitely I wouldn't use crushed ice because you don't get so much control and you're going to get a whole lot of dilution very quickly. Um, You don't need to have super fancy ice. All you need is just standard cubes to make this drink. You know, whether it's, you know, cubes that you put, you know, that you get from your freezer, your little, you know, freezer tray, that's fine. Um, And as far as how much cubes you need, put enough to fill, you know, put, put a good enough amount to fill the small smaller tin if you're using a Boston shaker. One last question for you. I had a conversation with somebody recently just about daiquiris. And um, she had mentioned that the daiquiri is also sort of a litmus test for bartenders. Is that is that true in your opinion? Like if you're trying to get a job somewhere, is that something you should just have on lock? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think three of those drinks kind of fall into that category. You know, the old fashioned the Negroni and the daiquiri is one of them all because they're so simple to make, but you can easily screw up the balance of it. Um, yeah. Speaking of the daiquiri, I mean, look, a bartender ought to be able to make a daiquiri the way a chef ought to be able to make, you know, a scrambled eggs. You yeah. know, if you fuck that up, you know, you're just really not paying attention because all you really have to do is just taste the thing, whether it's straw tasting or whatever you do before you serve it. And as soon as you taste it, if you have, if you know what balance is, and guys, if you if you're a bartender and you don't know what balance is, that's like being a race car driver and you don't know like you know how to read an odometer, like <laughs> <laughs> or a speedometer. Um, you know, like if you if you taste it, you'll know immediately. First thing that comes out to mind is is the sweet and sour there, yeah. uh, and secondly, like is it boozy enough or is it too boozy or did I forget the booze? You know, we taste right. all the time, and so. It's a very simple drink, but also I can't tell you how often I've asked for a daiquiri and it's been made 
you know, subpar. We hope you enjoyed that episode on the daiquiri. Tune in on the next one where we tackle the Aperol Spritz, a drink that was recently featured in a mildly controversial New York Times article. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore well underscore podcast. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review.